You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Let the king of my heart be the 
Praise Community Church. Welcome. Thanks for joining me here today. I just want to say to all of you moms, all of you ladies who are watching this, uh, happy Mother's Day. I hope it is a great day for you. I hope you're uh, blessed. I hope you're able to spend great time uh, with family uh, today. And again, we just thank you for the great example uh, that you are moms to all of us. So I just wish you a very happy and a very blessed Mother's Day. Again, just thank you so much for all of the great comments and emails and text messages that many of you are sending, just thanking me for these messages and how encouraging and helpful they've been to you. It is really odd for me, at least on this end of things, to be talking to a camera in a room by myself every week. It's certainly not anything I'm used to. I know it's certainly nothing that you're used to, but again, I appreciate that we have this opportunity to at least be able to communicate, uh, to share together in the Word. I was reading uh, the book of Joel this week, and there's a very, very interesting statement um, in Joel uh, chapter 2, and he's kind of describing uh, the day of the Lord. And one of the ways that he kind of refers to that uh, there in chapter 2 is he talks about nothing like this has ever happened. And he goes on and says, nothing like this will ever happen again. And I think we can kind of know how Joel feels there as we kind of look at uh, the things that have transpired uh, in these last few weeks with the coronavirus. And I think many of us would also say with Joel, nothing like this has ever happened. And we certainly pray nothing like this would ever happen again. And so I think it's just interesting as you look back at, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, there were things that happened that had never happened before. And yet here we are 2,000 or just thousands and thousands of years later, again, realizing that God is faithful and God brings us through these things. And, and we just know that God is going to do that uh, for us as well. Now, these last few weeks, we've kind of been really talking on the subject of worry. And, you know, God wants us to identify ourselves not as worriers, but as worshipers. And that is as that as Christians, as believers, we can care about our needs. We can care about our food, our clothing, our, our home, our jobs, our health. There's, there's things that we can care about. Where God cautions us on those things is when it is no longer a care uh, or a concern, but where we've shifted into worrying about those things. And again, the Bible calls us to not worry because the scriptures remind us that we have a heavenly father who is not only committed to us, but is also committed to providing for our needs. So in case you've missed the last couple of weeks, and maybe this is your first uh, podcast, let me just kind of quickly recap where we've been. The first thing that we really kind of talked about was the things that you and I are the most devoted to are often the things that will fuel our worry. And I gave the example last week that if we're really kind of devoted to money, then money is one of the things that we're going to be the most prone to be worried about. If our, you know, if our devotion is to our job, then we're going to tend to worry about things related to our jobs. If our, our, if we're really devoted to uh, our food, you know, then food is going to be the number one thing that we worry about. And so, again, if your greatest devotion uh, in life is to your health, then it is your health that is going to probably be the thing you are most worried about. So the thing that you are the most devoted to uh, are the things that will largely determine what you worry about. Now, last week, we kind of talked about um, worrying is kind of this, uh, this preoccupation with tomorrow. So worry is, I'm fine now in this moment, but what about tomorrow? I'm fine here and now, but what about tomorrow? And one of the things that we all have in common is we all kind of have this uh, 
need to want to try to be able to control the future. And so we, we tend to want to be able to uh, have control over the things that are going to happen, uh, not just today, but into tomorrow and next week. And, and, and so really, we ha all have that in common. The other thing we all have in common is our inability to control the future. Um, and as much control as we think we have, we never have as much control as we think we do, uh, because really none of us have the ability to, to control the future. And because of that, uh, we really tend to worry. And, and Jesus simply says, look, don't focus on tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Focus on today. Focus on the things uh, that are happening now. And that's really all you can do is just do what you can do in the here and now and then just trust God for all the things in all of your tomorrows. Now, we talked again last week about, you know, worry is kind of like prayer in reverse. And what often happens is when we are given to worry, what often happens is the things that we're worried about, the things that we're focused on, just kind of tend to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and suddenly they've kind of just taken on a life of their own. Whereas the opposite of worry, which would be prayer, is that as we pray about these things, that, you know, our focus of God um, our confidence in his ability to meet those needs, our faith in him just kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the things that we're worried about just tend to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and so again, oftentimes the resistance that we have to a message like this is that it sounds too simplistic, or maybe it kind of comes across as very passive. Some of you may be sitting there and you're thinking, you know, when, when I worry, I feel like I'm at least doing something. Um, and, and, you know, I've got some pretty big issues in my life right now. There are some really big things happening, and, and, and I don't feel like I can really do anything. So I feel like I want to do something. And, and so if I worry about it, I feel like I'm at least doing something. And again, we all know that there are side effects uh, when we worry. Uh, when we worry, again, our tendency is to become very self-absorbed, very self-focused. We're not as sensitive uh, to the needs of other uh, people. Uh, we tend not to function well at home or at work, uh, and we aren't able to concentrate and make really good decisions. Some of you, when you uh, are worrying uh, constantly, uh, you get headaches, you, you get stressed out, you, you get tense, you can't sleep at night, you're short with people, and, and you make the decision that it's better to worry than, you know, to trust God, even though it kind of comes with all of these really negative side effects. And last week, we kind of talked about that, you know, again, one of the ways that we can uh, minimize our worries is really by just making that conscious choice, that step of faith, that we're going to shift our devotion. We're going to shift our devotion away from the things that we worry about, and we're going to shift that onto uh, really focusing on God, uh, trusting in Him. Uh, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And, and, and as long as your primary focus and devotion is your financial security, as long as your primary devotion is to your job, as long as your primary devotion is to your health, as long as your primary devotion is to something other than the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you are going to be prone to worry. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things that you worry about, the things that you're concerned about, Jesus said, all of these things will be added to you as well. 
And we talked about one of the ways that we seek the kingdom of God is found in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray when he says there, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so as we're, as we're making that shift, we, we begin to focus on his kingdom coming, his will being done just as it is in heaven. And, and when we do God's will upon the earth, it, it, again, it ushers in, it brings forth the kingdom of God and it puts his kingdom, his plan, his agenda, his will before ours. And that in a nutshell is where we've really kind of been these last couple of weeks. So with all that in mind, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit today. And I want to tell you a story that comes from the Old Testament. And it's a story about a guy who really had some pretty big things to worry about. And I want to show you how that worry really kind of drove his response and his behavior. And we find the story uh, kind of really unfolds over three chapters in uh, 1 Kings, and it's chapters 17, 18, and 19. And I would encourage you maybe later today or this week uh, to just take some time and to kind of read that story in its entirety, um, because it's, it's a story about a prophet who really has a lot to worry about. And towards the end of the story... Uh, a particular person asked this prophet uh, a very thought-provoking question. As a matter of fact, it's so thought-provoking that if you are a warrior, I would encourage you to take this question that we're going to talk about today, and I would write it out on maybe a 3 by 5 index card and just hang it in one of those high-traffic areas in your house, whether it's the bathroom mirror, you know, the refrigerator, your dresser, because this is one of those questions that really has the ability uh, to recenter, to recalibrate our focus as it kind of relates to what are we focused on? What are we concerned and worried about? So let me kind of just give you the context of the story again. I encourage you to read it in its entirety. Now, when the nation of Israel became a kingdom, uh, they, their first king was a king named Saul. And after Saul, there, there came another king who was a very famous king, a king a lot of us know and admire, and that was King David. And after King David came the third king of Israel, uh, King uh, Solomon, who was David's son. And, and so these are the first three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. Now, after the reign of the third king, Solomon, Israel is split into two kingdoms. There's what they call the Northern Kingdom, and it kind of retains the name Israel. And then there was the Southern Kingdom that was called Judah. And so this particular story in 1 Kings 17 through 19 takes place about 860 uh, BC before Christ, and it unfolds during the reign of the eighth king of the northern kingdom, Israel, and it's a king by the name of Ahab. Now, Ahab is a very, very rebellious, he is a, a wicked king, he is someone who does not follow the ways of God, uh, he's responsible for leading uh, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, uh, kind of away from the worship of Yahweh uh, to kind of worshiping uh, Baal and other pagan idols. And Ahab leads the nation of Israel away from obeying the laws of God to disobedience to kind of apathy and passivity uh, towards God and the things of God. As a matter of fact, 1 Kings 16.30 says this, Ahab, King Ahab, did more to provoke Yahweh than all the other kings before him. That's quite a reputation. So as the nation of Israel has kind of turned its back on God and they're walking in disobedience and rebellion to him and his laws, 
God does for Ahab and for the nation of Ahab something he has done for you and for me when we have turned our backs and walked away from God. God sent a voice. God sent a message. God sent a messenger to Ahab. And God sends the prophet Elijah to King Ahab. And Elijah tells Ahab how displeased God is, that God is very displeased and disappointed in that Ahab has led the nation of Israel into idol worship. And so God is going to get your attention, King Ahab, by not allowing it to reign for three years. God is going to allow the national economy to go into the tank if that's what it's going to take to get your attention. Does that sound familiar? So Elijah leaves and one month, two months, three months go by and not a drop of rain falls. Meanwhile, God tells Elijah, you need to hide. You need to run away. You need to get away because you're not going to be very popular here pretty soon. Because once they find out you are the one responsible for turning off the rain, they're going to figure you can turn the rain back on and they're going to come looking for you. So you need to hide yourself. So Elijah flees to a very secluded place east of the Jordan and there he kind of just stays, and God provides for his needs. He sends food. He, he sends water. Now, he's not living high on the hog by any means. He's kind of just camping out there uh, to stay away from uh, Ahab, who is searching frantically for him. And, and he's just kind of there resting um, as the rest of Israel is kind of uh, in turmoil and chaos because there's no rain. Uh, the crops die, the livestock is dying, and things get really dire quickly. And, and as, uh, again, Elijah hides, many are looking for him because they know he's the one responsible for this. So as the story goes, three years go by. And at the end of those three years, God tells Elijah to go back to Ahab and tell Ahab that God is once again going to send the rain. And that God is ready now to teach not just Ahab, but the whole nation of Israel a lesson if they're ready to learn it. But Elijah tells Ahab, before God sends the rain, there's something he wants us to do. And Elijah says, I want you to meet me on Mount Carmel. And I want you to bring 850 of the priests of Baal. I want you to bring any representatives from the nation of Israel who you think have a connection with the God you worship, and we're going to have a prayer meeting. So Elijah, uh, Ahab, the 850 prophets of Baal, and many, many representatives from the nation of Israel all meet together on Mount Carmel. And Ahab is given one of the bulls, Elijah takes the other one. And then Elijah gives this challenge to Ahab, and he says, I want you to prepare this bull for sacrifice. And Elijah was going to do the same. And then he said, and, and then Ahab, I want you and the prophets of Baal to pray to your God, and I'm going to pray to my God, Yahweh, the God of my fathers, and we're going to see which one of these gods responds and sends the rain. So Ahab goes first. He and the prophets of Baal, they build the altar, they sacrifice the bull, and then they begin to call on the God of Baal to make it rain, for the, for the God of Baal to come down and to consume the offering. And some time goes by and nothing happens. 
So the prophets of Baal kind of ratchet up their worship. They kind of start shouting louder. They kind of start dancing around more wildly. Uh, just anything to try to ratchet uh, the energy up a bit. Time goes by and nothing happens. So the, the priests, the prophets of Baal, they ratchet it up again. And this time, they kind of start slashing themselves. They're cutting themselves and, and, and they're bleeding uh, all over the place. Now, while all of this is going on, Elijah is preparing his altar. He's getting ready to, uh, to sacrifice his bull. And, and while Elijah's doing this, he does something that I would never, ever recommend anyone doing, especially in this current culture. Elijah begins to make fun of their religion. He begins to poke fun at their God, Baal. And, and you have it in Kings 18.27. Elijah just begins to taunt them. And, and he says things like, maybe you need to shout louder. Maybe you need to dance more wildly. Maybe you need to keep cutting yourself more and more. Because maybe your God is deep in thought. Or maybe your God is preoccupied. Maybe your God is on vacation. Maybe your God is asleep and just needs to be awoken. And Ahab and the 850 uh, prophets of Baal um, they're, they're shouting, uh, they're dancing, they're slashing, they're doing everything that they can do. And by evening, they are exhausted and, and, and blood everywhere. And their God, Baal, hasn't done anything. So at this point, Elijah steps up and says, okay, now it's my turn. He says, but before I pray to Yahweh, the God of my fathers, he said, I want you to do something for me. I want you to go and to get some water. And I want you to take that water and I want you to completely pour it over the altar, my altar. I want you to completely drench the offering, the bowl. I want you to completely just pour water everywhere, so much so that there's just water standing. And so they do that. And then in verse 36, Elijah prays, and here's what he says. Oh, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are Elohim in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, oh, Yahweh. Answer me so these people meaning Ahab, the priest of Baal, all the representatives of Israel, that these people will know that you, Yahweh, are Elohim, and that you are turning their hearts back to you. And right after he prays that, the scripture says, then the fire of Yahweh fell, and it not only burned up and consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. But the fire of Yahweh also licked up all of the water in the trench. At that point, the, 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 the nation of Israel, all of these Jewish people who had been worshiping the, the gods of Baal, they turn on them and they kill them. And Elijah says to Ahab, you need to get in your chariot. You need to head for home because rain is coming. And so Ahab hightails it back uh, to Jezreel. Now, at, at this point, Elijah is a rock star. I, I mean, he is the hero of the story. And you would think at this point, everything he's experienced, everything he has seen that Elijah would have nothing to be worried or concerned about. Meanwhile, Ahab returns home, and he has a conversation with his wife and telling her everything that happened. And we know who Ahab's wife was, right? 
a woman by the name of Jezebel. Now, if you think Ahab was evil, Jezebel is wickedness to the 10th degree. Ahab returns home and tells Jezebel everything that happened, everything that Elijah did. And then it says in 1 Kings 19.1, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow you, Elijah, are not dead like one of them. So Jezebel finds out all that happens. She sends a message to Elijah that basically says, Here's the deal, bud. By this time tomorrow, you are going to be like my prophets of Baal. You are also going to be dead. By this time tomorrow, your life will be finished. Now remember what I said earlier. Worrying is essentially a preoccupation, an obsession with tomorrow. And what Jezebel does here is she threatens Elijah's tomorrow. Now again, given everything that's happened up to Elijah's life in this point, you would think his response would be something like, oh yeah? Bring it on, Jezebel. I mean, haven't you heard? Haven't you seen what, what was done? Haven't you seen how I can turn the rain off and on? I mean, did you hear about the fireworks on Mount Carmel, Jezebel? I don't have anything to fear from you. I have nothing to be worried about. Because the same God who did all of that is the same God that will protect me. And, and you would think that would be his response to her threat, given everything that has happened in the life of Elijah up to that point. But verse 3 says this, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Isn't that interesting? See, Elijah is fine now. God has given the victory to Elijah now. God conquered all of the priests of Baal now. But Elijah is concerned. What about tomorrow? Elijah was not worried about that moment. He was reacting to what may come tomorrow. Now here's what I would suspect for many of us. If I were to drop into your life at a moment and look at all of God's faithfulness to you, if we were to sit down and to talk about all the ways that God has been good and faithful to you in the past, and look at the thing that you're worried about today, I may be tempted to say to you what we would be tempted to say to Elijah, and that is, what are you worried about? I mean, God has been faithful to you in the past. I mean, we can talk about yesterday, last week, last year, five years ago, and we can talk about God's faithfulness to you throughout that whole time. So why are you worried about tomorrow? And we'd be like, you know, don't you remember yesterday? You know, don't you remember last week? Don't you remember last month? And our, our response, your response may be, yeah, 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 that's all good. But what about tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow? And so here's Elijah. He's totally blanked out. He has totally forgotten about God's past faithfulness because about a threat of tomorrow. The future was unsure, 
and he didn't feel like he had any control over the future. So he got into fear, he got into worry, and as a result of that, he panicked. He was fine in the now, but what about tomorrow? And that's where some of you may be today. You're fine in the now. I mean, right now, this moment, you're good. But what you're worried about is your tomorrow. So Elijah flees to Beersheba, and that's in Judah, which is in the southern kingdom. It's about 100 miles away, and verse 4 says, He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Again, this is a, a pretty extreme reaction. So Elijah falls asleep under the tree, and twice an angel of the Lord comes and, and feeds him and gives him water and strengthens him. And following that, Elijah travels for 40 days and 40 nights. And he comes to Mount Oreb, and he takes up shelter in a cave there. Now the next day, and here is where God asks this question that I referred to uh, earlier. It's a very interesting question. And a question, again, that really has the potential to recenter, to recalibrate our lives, especially for those of us who are prone to worry. Verse 9, and the word of Yahweh came to Elijah and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God asked Elijah a very simple question, what are you doing here? You're miles and miles and miles, you're days and days and days away from where you were because suddenly Tomorrow became threatening, and you ran away. So what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I love this question, because I have a feeling for some of us who are so stressed out and worried about the uncertainty of tomorrow, that maybe we've done some running ourselves. Maybe some of us are running from our marriages. Maybe some of us are running from our responsibilities uh, to our family. Maybe we're running from, you know, our parents, or, or maybe we're running from something um, in our lives, all because we are stressed out and fearful and, and, and anxious about tomorrow, about the unknown, about the future. And because of our running, some of us maybe we're in a place emotionally, maybe we're in a place relationally, or maybe we're in a place financially. Mentally, we have never been before, kind of like what Joel talked about. And we end up in a place we have no business being. Now, what if God were to show up in that place you're at? That place where you have no business being, whether it's a bar, whether it's an adulterous affair, whether it is a drug transaction, or maybe a shady uh, business deal, or maybe it's just hour after hour of just sitting in front of the, the TV or the computer screen. And God says to you, as he says to Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you running? Why have you allowed this threat of the future, this uncertainty of tomorrow, this threat of the economy, this, uh, this worry of your job, this worry of your spouse, the threat of the coronavirus, the threat of things you can't control? Why have you allowed that to drive you and to take you places you have no business being? Why have you allowed the worries of tomorrow to drive you to a place you do not belong emotionally, mentally, spiritually? What are you doing here? Now, you've got to admire Elijah's response in verse 10, because Elijah responds kind of by saying, well, in case you haven't been paying attention, God, uh, in case you were kind of looking the other way, I have been very zealous, and these are his words, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
the Israelites, I mean, they've all rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put all of your prophets to death with the sword. But I, I am the only one left. And now they're coming after me to try to kill me. And I want you to see how God responds and how Initially, God's response may have kind of come across to Elijah as kind of being irrelevant. Because verse 11 says, The Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of Yahweh, for I am about to pass by. And I'm sure Elijah may be thinking as God tells him this, And you're going to do what? I mean, that's going to change what? That's going to make a difference how. I'll go through this with you again in case you didn't hear me, okay? Nobody sees you but me. Nobody believes in you but me. Nobody pays attention to you but me. And you've not lifted a finger to help me. You've not lifted a finger to uh, keep Jezebel from threatening and endangering my life. She's out there looking for me to kill me, and I'd be better off dead. But you want me to go stand at the mouth of a cave so that you can pass by. Well, that's just great. Just what I needed. And verse 11 continues. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before Yahweh. But Yahweh was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but Yahweh was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here? Elijah. In other words, God is saying to Elijah, hey, I'm here. I'm here now, just like I was then. I'm here now, just as much as I have always been there with you in all of your yesterdays. Did you forget the fireworks show on Mount Carmel? I mean, do you forget the things that I have done? I mean, how did you like the way I just rearranged the mountains and shattered the rocks with the wind? Pretty impressive, huh? I mean, were you impressed by the way the whole earth just moved by that earthquake? Elijah, if I can do that, don't you think that I can take care of some wicked blowhard queen. And he essentially says to Elijah, Elijah, you forgot to factor me into this equation. So Elijah, let me ask you again, what are you doing here? Interestingly, again, Elijah gives God the same speech as before, verse 14, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites, they've rejected your covenants. They've broken down your altars. I mean, they, they put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left here, and they're trying to kill me. And I just have to think, as he's going through the same speech he'd already just given a few moments earlier, he's thinking about Mount Carmel. He's thinking about the wind the earthquake, uh, the fire, uh, and he's beginning to realize, I don't have a leg to stand on here with God. I'm simply here because I forgot to factor God into my situation. And then in verse 15, God says, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And then he tells Elijah, when you get there, I want you to anoint all these people as kings. Then in verse 18, it says, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. Elijah thinks he's the only one. And God says, you know what, Elijah, you're not the only one. I've got 7,000. 
thousand other people in Israel. And these are all people whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, who have not worshipped him, who have not kissed him. And God is essentially saying to Elijah, you think you're the only one left, but you're not. You think you know all there is to know, but you didn't know all there was to know. What in the world are you doing here? And at this point, if you've allowed your fears, if you've allowed your concerns, your fears, your anxieties to drive you into behaviors, habits, and places, I think God's question to Elijah is just as relevant to you. What are you doing here? And God's solution for you will be what it was to Elijah. Go back to where you came. Go back to where you were before you got into worry and fear and anxiety. Go back to where you were and factor me into your situation. See, if there's no God, I can understand what you're doing, where you're at. But as a believer, we should be different because we have a Heavenly Father who cares about us. We have a Heavenly Father who knows all of our needs and is committed to providing for all of our needs. You and I, we have a Heavenly Father who thinks we're more valuable than all of the birds of the air. You have a heavenly father who intimately knows you, is acquainted with you in every way, and is committed to providing and taking care of you, just as he has in all of your past, just as he is right now, and just as he will into all of your tomorrows. And the point of this whole series, these last three weeks, is simply this. We're to do all that we can do to do it to the best of our ability and simply trust God to do what we can't. Trust God to do what God has promised to do. Do what God has called us to do and trust him to do all that he has promised to do. And again, this is not about being careless. This isn't about not caring. It's not about being irresponsible. It's not about going, oh, well. It is, God, I've been diligent. I've been faithful to do what you've called me to do, to do all that I can do. And I am simply now going to trust you to do what I can't and what you've promised to do. And I'm going to walk now, and I'm going to walk into all of my tomorrows, confident that you will be there then, just as you have been now, and just as you have been throughout all of my yesterdays. The other option is, of course, is to worry. The other option is you can spend a lot of time, a lot of energy uh, on the things you can't do anything about. You can expend a lot of concern and energy and emotion and anxiety trying to control a future you can't control. But Jesus would say to you and to me, you really don't need to do that because you have a Heavenly Father who's committed to knowing you, to knowing your needs intimately, and He is committed to meeting those needs for you now as well as all of your tomorrows. So you don't need to worry. This is one of the reasons I think that Jesus really encourages you and I to take communion. It's why we celebrate it every week here together at Praise Community Church uh, when we gather, because it's a time to remember that God is with us always, that God will never leave us, that God will never forsake us, that he is always committed, he's always faithful, he'll always keep his every promise to you and me. 
and that we can invite him into any and every situation and circumstance uh, that would drive us to places we don't belong, that it would that it would encourage us to remember to factor God into everything uh, we do, into every place we go. And so I just encourage you uh, this morning, this week, again, it can just be a simple cracker. It can just be some bread you have in the home, some grape juice. Again, just to take that opportunity to celebrate communion, to celebrate fellowship with God, to celebrate his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, his promises to you and I. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will always be true to my promises. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.